Welcome this morning. Glad you're here. You know, it's uh, we, because of the Father's great mercy to us and his love for us, have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. The Father's not only raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand, and us as well, you know that we're at 6300 West 127th Street physically, but spiritually the Father sees us in his presence with the Lord Jesus Christ even today. So we're seated at the right hand with Jesus, but he's also done this. He's invested his spirit in the lives of each one of us who has turned to the Father in faith and received the Lord Jesus Christ into their lives, and we've become new creatures, new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are today, isn't it? We're brand new creatures. We're not what we used to be. We're brand new. As a matter of fact, it says this in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. We're those who have been delivered from or rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's who we are. We used to be under the dominion and living in the domain of darkness, but we're no longer there. Pastor Pat preached on this before. We're not in that neighborhood any longer. We're in a new neighborhood. We have a new matter of authority in our lives, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 3, 1. He said, even incredulously so, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. How amazing is that? To be called a child of God. And then he says in that incredulous way, and such we are. That's our reality. That's who we are. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not who I was in the flesh. I am a child of the king. And now if you've already stepped into that family relationship by faith through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the scripture says you've been born from above. The Holy Spirit now lives in you, and you are a child of God, and such we are. We're children of God. You and I, we, the church, the called out ones, we're the bride of Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's stunning to think that we would be given that kind of relationship with the one who gave his life for you and me. You're a new creation. We have new capacities and power in us as a king's kid. I'm no longer, you're no longer what we used to be. You and I are now completely other because of Jesus. We're completely new. We now have the ability and the capacity 
to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. That's what it's about, isn't it? A transformation that makes us something that we weren't before and we are now. Not only new in Christ, but witnesses for Christ. This morning, what I want us to do is take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, and we'll be considering the difference relationship with the Father through the finished work of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is to make in our lives personally and in the twisted culture in which we live. We haven't been taken out at the moment of believing on Jesus, but we've been made new so that we could have influence and impact in a culture that's rapidly going south. So turn to Ephesians 5 if you're not there yet, and we'll read through, the verse, uh, through to verse 14. Now keep in mind what Jesus said. He said this in Matthew 4.19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's our mission as disciples. That's our mission as a church, following Jesus and impacting others. That's what it's all about. So let me read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For you, this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, 
but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What an incredible passage of scripture. Something that we're called to, isn't there? Justified. We're justified in Christ. Justification leads to sanctification and sanctification leads to glorification. We're not glorified yet. We're not done. We're in the process. So we're in the sanctification process now after having been justified. That's for those who have put their confidence in Christ and they've been made brand new. You're justified. The just one died for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. And we're in that process of transformation and sanctification right now. Because of our new relationship with Jesus, we are to be, being, becoming imitators of God. An imitator of God. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're to be mimicking That's what it means to be an imitator of God, is one who mimics him, one who walks in his footsteps. It's that picture of taking on the yoke of Jesus and walking with him, right? He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Get in step with me. Be imitators of me. This is an up-close and personal walk with God. And the very first thing that we're to be imitators of God in is that we are to walk in love. Now, the scripture is pretty clear on this. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the very character of God, the very nature of God, is that he is love. And you know, as we think about that, the investment that God has made in us is an investment of himself by his spirit. And the scripture says that the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out into our lives by the Holy Spirit. So we've got this indwelling present, this indwelling reality of the love of God abiding in us, and it makes it simpler for us, not easy, but simpler for us to walk in that kind of way, to walk in love. Well, what does that look like? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. This is what that kind of love looks like. You know, we often share this passage at weddings because this is what agape love looks like. And it tells us what love looks like. It says this, you there? Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. 
is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. I love that one. It doesn't keep a list. Sometimes we do that, don't, don't we? We keep a list of when people have wronged us and it turns into anger or resentment or bitterness and it can really get down and defile us and defile others around us. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It always accomplishes God's purpose. It's that kind of love that the scripture says that we have because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that? We learn to walk in that because it's pleasing to the Lord. You know, it's part of our relationship with the Father because we're beloved children. We're children loved by him. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's in Matthew 3 where Jesus, it's Jesus' baptism and he comes up out of the water. And what does the father say about the son? This is my beloved son in whom what? I'm well pleased. So when the father looks at you and me today, he doesn't see you and me. He sees his son and we're his beloved children. And he's well pleased with you and me today. Isn't that amazing? That because of Jesus and because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we have that kind of standing before the Father. And what does this love look like? It says that it's a fragrant aroma before God. A fragrant aroma before God. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, aroma. A willing sacrifice to the Father is how Jesus saw himself, and it was well-pleasing to him, a fragrant aroma to the Father. Now where it says, just as Christ also loved you, we're going to come back to that later on but a fragrant aroma. The scripture says that you and I, because we walk in love, because that's who we are now, we're those who walk in love or are to be walking in love. We're that same kind of fragrant aroma before the Father today. And not only that kind of fragrant aroma to the Father, but we're to be that fragrant aroma to one another as we walk in love that we're to love one another in that kind of way, that that's an aroma before the Father and we're that fragrant aroma in each other's presence. But we're also an aroma to those that are perishing. But the aroma to them is from death to death because they don't have this. They don't have this. And so you and I are to be examples of that to one another, an offering before the Lord, a fragrant aroma before him by our lives, but we're also to model it to a world that is perishing, that we would stand out as different 
because of our love. What an amazing thing. That's who we are in Christ. That's part of who we are. There's two ways of walking that Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture, that we're to walk in love and to, we're to walk as children of light. Now, the next number of verses, verses 3 through 14, really talk about that. It puts a contrast in front of us of the things that we used to be and who we are now in Christ. The way we're to walk now as believers in Jesus and the way that we are not to walk, and if we are walking that way, we need to stop walking that way. And that's what the passage is going to talk about as we head into the rest of these passages or verses. It's a contrast between the new life that we have in Christ and the old life from which we've been redeemed. Look at verses 3 through 5. What Paul talks about here is things that are absolutely contrary to who we are as believers in Jesus. And he's going to call these uh, deeds of darkness. Galatians 5 would call them deeds of the flesh, but they're deeds nonetheless. He says this, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named to you among you as is proper among saints, called out ones, holy ones. That's who we are. Immorality, impurity, both of these have to do with sexual immorality. The word that's used here is porneia, and it's the word that we understand gives us the word for pornography. The Apostle Paul says by the Spirit that we are not to be involved in this in any way, either in action or in thought, immorality, impurity. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This was prevalent in the culture then, and it's prevalent in the culture now. Apparently, this was an issue in the church in Ephesus. It's probably an issue in the church in Illinois, in Chicago, in the United States, in the world. This is a battle point. This is where we used to be. This is a place that the enemy would seek to use to overthrow us. It's prevalent in the culture then, it's prevalent now. And it's something we need to stand against. It's something that was flaunted. It was flaunted then, and it's flaunted now. It doesn't need any more explanation than that, does it? We look at where we're at in our culture today, and we're on a rapid decline into debauchery. There's confusion about who people are. There's gender confusion. There's applauding homosexuality. And that's where our culture is today. These things the scripture would describe as lusts of the flesh. These are things that are deeds of the flesh and are listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. We won't turn there, but I'd encourage you to take a look at that later on this week 
and see what it says about the deeds of the flesh. This is a focus, what Paul's talking about here is focusing on satisfying sexual appetites and not doing it in a legitimate way. This is an illegitimate satisfaction of sexual appetites. But then he also talks about this. He says that immorality or impurity, but then he says, or greed must not even be named among you. Some translations mention this as covetousness. It's simply the want for more. I need more. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more. More of this world's goods. It's wanting what others have. Are you dissatisfied with your stage in life or your status or your place? I want what they have. And it's, it descends into this as well. Not only do I, want, do I want it, I don't want them to have it. It's, it goes into envy and jealousy. It's the lust of the eyes. This is what John talked about in 1 John chapter 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Paul says, you know what? This isn't even to be named among us as believers. We're not even to speak of those things as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the satisfying, this greed, is the satisfying of the appetite for more of what this life has. Someone was asked, how much is enough? The response back, just a little more. I think it was somebody that asked, I think it was Rockefeller, don't quote me on this, but it comes to mind. How much is enough? He said about $50 a week. Isn't that amazing? Guy has got all the money in the world. Just a little bit more. How much do you need? There's an appetite. And you know what the incredible thing about this is? This is all equated with idolatry. You see it there? He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, the called out ones, the holy ones. There must not be any, no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. The very next verse, for this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Idolatry. The simplest way of saying what idolatry is, it's ascribing worth and value to something great in a greater way than what you do to the true and living God. Spending your time in immorality or impurity or greed trying to get a little bit more. It's bowing down in worship before those things. 
Paul talked about it in Romans 1, didn't he? Worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. It's idolatry. And it's those who practice such things as a habit of life. Now, aren't you glad you don't live there? That you don't practice such things as a habit of life? That's who we used to be. That's not who we are any longer. We're different in Jesus now. Where it talks about filthiness, silly talk, worthless, coarse jesting. Filthiness is obscenity. Obscene things, either said or acted out. Silly talk. It's not small talk. It's worthless speaking. It's speaking those things are, which really are degrading to the person speaking them, and they're not edifying to those who hear them. I could remember sitting at a Cubs game one time, had great tickets, two rows back from the dugout, and I had a guy sitting right in front of me who was filling the air with vile things and obscenities. I sat there as long as I could, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I don't know this guy from anybody. And I asked him, I said, bro, do these look like garbage cans to you? Because you're filling my ears with filth. That's basically the way I said it to him. I don't think I've ever spoken like that to anybody else, but it was one of those moments where man, I just can't take this anymore. This guy's polluting the air. That's not who we're to be. That's totally inconsistent and incongruent with who we are as believers in Jesus. Now, why is Paul mentioning this to the church in Ephesus? It's obviously an issue, right? He wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't. So I wonder if any of this is an issue for us as believers, either on campus or online. Is this an issue for us? If it is, what Paul would say to the believers there is stop it. Stop. It's not who you are. It's inconsistent with who you are in Jesus. There's an investment in us by the Holy Spirit who's to bring conviction in regards to these things. It's not even to be spoken of by you. We're to carry out his purposes and his wills, his will. What Paul says, guys, these are actions of the old life. These are habits of the old life. You're brand new in Jesus. Look at, look at what the Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 says about us as believers. It's just back a couple pages. Listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the power, according to the prince 
of the power of the air, under the authority and the rulership of the evil one in that domain of darkness in which we used to live, in which we've been redeemed from by the incredible work of Jesus on the cross and his rising from the dead and the investment of the Holy Spirit, we have been delivered from that and transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're no longer under that authority. And it's of the spirit that is now working in the sons of what? Disobedience. Now, when we started reading this passage, who are we? We're beloved children of God. And such we are. I'm not standing in a room filled with people who are sons of disobedience. I'm standing in a room filled with the people who are children of God. And such we are. So Paul says, if that's what's involved in your life now, stop it. And if it's not, don't ever start it. We're to walk differently because of who Jesus is. And he says, among them too, all, we too all formerly lived in what? The lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, and praise God, that's no longer our history. Paul says you've been delivered from that. So walk as children of light. You notice what the result of walking in that way, if that's your habit of life? It's going to be the wrath of God, verse 6. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Aren't you glad you're no longer that? We're brand new in Jesus. But what are, what's our habit to be? In our speech and in our conduct, rather than speech that is off color and worthless and doesn't edify anybody or is involved in coarse jesting, we're to be those who are the ones that are giving thanks. Thanks for what? Thanks for redemption. Thanks for a new relationship. Thanks for not being where we were before. Thanks for becoming a child of God. You can fill in the blank with what you think the thanks should be, but the scripture is pretty clear that instead of foul speech, we're to be giving thanks to God for who he is and what he's done. Now, the right course of living is in, uh, in verses 7 through 13. We're not to enter into those kind of things because we were formerly darkness, but now we're light in the Lord and we're to walk as children of light. Jesus actually said this in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And when he talks about the light of the world, he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket to cover it, but they put it on a lampstand that what? All that are in the house might be exposed 
to the light. They might see the light. Now, you know, one of the things that I enjoy, uh, I, I get up early in the morning. I'll sit in my living room with a cup of coffee and I'll watch the darkness recede. I'll watch, I'll, I'll look out our picture window to the east and I'll notice that there's evidence of light coming up. There's evidence of the sun coming onto the scene. And pretty soon, the darkness, the stars fade away and the moon disappears and it's light out now. I've never seen a time where the sun comes up that the darkness fails to recede. The light never gives way to the darkness, right? Just walking to my office this morning to get a couple things, I opened the door and there was darkness in the hallway and I flipped the light on in my office and you know what happened? The light filled my room and it spilled out into the hallway in the darkness. Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. See, when, when God took us out of darkness and he brought us into his marvelous light, he did it so that you and I would be proclaimers of his excellencies. Now, one of the things I noticed about when the sun rose this morning, somebody said, oh, you get up at the crack of dawn. Never heard dawn crack. You know? Sunrise doesn't make noise. It just shines. So Jesus' investment of his spirit in us is so that we would shine in the darkness and there would be an evident difference because of who we are. Because of the investment of the Holy Spirit, it's not like God has made us like light or he has given us a simple lamp to use, but he's made a significant impact at the core of who we are that we have gone from darkness to being light. You and I used to be darkness, not just in darkness, not just in the domain of darkness, but we were darkness. We were the problem. But God in his great mercy, right, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he has transformed us at the very core of who we are. Now, we're in process. None of us have arrived yet. But that's who we are. You, brothers and sisters, are light in the Lord and the admonition to us as believers is to walk in love and to walk as children of light. I knew a guy like this. He made it uncomfortable when he was around. He was, he was a guy that walked so closely with the Lord that even believers had a hard time being around him. 
He, it, it just oozed out of him. It was like he'd walk in the room and the light just emanated from him. His name was Lou Oji. He was an older guy when we got to Montana as a young pastor. But Lou was that kind of guy that when he'd show up, he didn't have to say a word. He just was so close to the Lord and Jesus was transforming him so much day by day that the light came on and the darkness dispelled. That's what God wants for you and me. To be those kind of men and women who walk with him that when we show up, the light dispels the darkness. We're to be walking as children of light, walking by the Spirit and experiencing him, putting out of business the deeds of darkness in our flesh. Now some were saying, you know what? It's okay to continue on in sin because where sin does abound, grace much more does abound. Paul spoke to that in Romans 6, right? And what, what did he say about that? May it never be. In other words, we're supposed to be walking in newness of life. The Spirit of God is putting out of business the deeds of darkness, the deeds of the flesh in our lives day by day. We're to walk in love just as Christ also loved us. I want to circle back to that. In verse 2, to walk in love just as Christ also loved you, just as. Now, we heard those same kind of words in chapter 4, verse 32, that we're to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now we're told here that we're to walk in love just as Christ also loved us. When did he love us? Did he love us when we had it together, when we were doing it right? No. He loved us while we were yet sinners. That's what Romans 5, 8 says, right? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just as Christ also loved us. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. But Jesus did it even greater, right? Because of what it says in Romans 5, 8, it says he laid down his life while we were yet his enemies. It's one thing to lay down your life for your friends, but it's another thing to lay down your life for the one who's driving the nails in your hands. That's what Jesus did. That we are to love just as Christ loved us. I got to tell you, I can't do that myself. Unless the Spirit of God does this for me and in me and through me, I will not do this. And neither will you. That's the truth. God's got to give it to us. We've got to get it from him and we've got to give it to somebody else. I don't have it in myself to do that. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this kind of love? 
this just-as-Jesus kind of love. You know what we do? We worship him for what he's done. We bow before him for what he's done. And we seek to learn what it is and to live in a way that is pleasing to him. Jesus only did that which was pleasing to the Father. Now, he can work that in you and me as well. So I want to ask you, we're going to go to communion this morning in just a couple minutes. Josh is going to lead us in that. And what I'd like to do is I'd just like to ask us to take a few minutes and ask the Holy Spirit just to do what it says in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. God, would you search me and know me? Would you see if there be any hurtful way in me? And would you lead me in the everlasting way? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is talking to the Corinthians about communion and taking the Lord's Supper together, We're coming to a time where we take the bread and we take the cup and the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ and the cup is a symbol of the blood of Christ, the new covenant. And as we take that, the scripture says this, we remember his death. Every time we do this, we remember his death. We look back to the cross and who Jesus is and what he's done and why he did it. And we look forward into the future to what is coming again. You and I, brothers and sisters, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're children of God and such we are, but it's even greater than that. You and I are the bride of Christ. And someday, the bride is going to be presented to the bridegroom at his coming without any spot or any wrinkle in purity. That's what Paul's calling us to in this passage of Scripture. Not immorality or impurity, but his called out ones, the very purity of what it is to be in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, today we come to you and we thank you. We thank you so much for the deep investment that you've made for us by your spirit. We thank you, Father, for your incredible goodness and kindness to us. Thank you for the transformation that you've brought to us as men and women who know Christ. Thank you that we've been redeemed from unfruitful deeds of darkness to bear fruit, goodness and righteousness and truth. And by doing so, it brings glory to you. Thank you for that work by your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.